The first lesson for today is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You know you're in for a, a treat when you read from Ecclesiastes, really from any scripture, but especially from Ecclesiastes. And these words will serve as the basis for the sermon today. You'll, you'll hear a lot of negative things about the heart's attachment to wealth and just where it leaves you, but you're also going to get something at the end that is to be treasured by believers, a life enjoyed under God. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain? since they toil for the wind. All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. The word of the Lord. Dear friends in Christ, what is the greatest financial mistake a person can make? Aren't you interested? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny that all you have to do is say something like that and our ears perk up? Because, boy, that's a big question. If I can solve that little riddle, the biggest financial mistake a person can make. Boy, if I, if I can avoid that, I'd already have a leg up on my future. Really going to be good. Failing to save for retirement. Just kidding. Taking out too many credit cards. Nope. Forgetting to plan for emergencies. Having an emergency fund or having adequate insurance for your house or car or life. Nope. But I'm sure hoping that by the end of today, you'll have an answer to that question. The biggest financial mistake a person can make. So does God. 
wants you to have an answer to that question. Because to take a, and identify the greatest mistake, God gets to do something special and to not only identify the right mistake, but uh, the right antidote to it, right? The right fix, the right thing to do is sort of, they hallucinate. Um, did I just, they illuminate one another. Not hallucinate, I think I did one of those in my head. Sorry, I must be tired. It's okay. Um, they illuminate one another. We have this in this hard truth. Maybe you, um, I missed it at first, Tasha pointed it out to me, in the hard truth logo. I guess it's there in the corner. You have these two arrows. There's, there's two truths sort of turning on each other. To identify the biggest financial mistake is going to be today to also identify the greatest thing you could do with your money. So that's what we're going to do today. And following along with Ecclesiastes 5, you're going to see Solomon, the preacher, do the same thing for the reader. That throughout these verses, I guess we have 11 verses in front of us, and there's eight of them that spend most of their time with somebody who, in their heart, is fixed on wealth. And also then, at the very end, the last three verses, to say, but I see something good that happens in the world, and it's something else going on in the heart, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, it's a key point to make that you will bungle up Scripture's counsel to you about money and riches if you think that it just talks about scenarios, like the scenario of the rich person, external circumstances only, or the poor person this and the rich person that. It doesn't. And even when Solomon, in the context here, is talking about the rich person, the broader scheme of these eight verses, or really 11 verses, is aimed at the heart. It's the heart thing. It, it has nothing to do with the quantity of how much is in the bank account or the wallet or the cabinet, right? How many square feet, how many car garage, blah, blah, blah. That has nothing, nothing to do with it. Every single time he talks about the rich in this section, he means a certain kind of rich. He means an obsessed rich. So the key words today are going to be heart. Or as you could say, it's not about possessions, it's about obsessions. And that's what we're dealing with today. What's the, how does he set it up? He says, anyone who loves wealth never has enough. He doesn't say anyone who has wealth always wants more. He says anyone whose obsession is their possessions never has enough. So to start with these, this, you can almost um, appreciate this in the way that the first eight verses and the last three speak about an individual. And I love the intimate ways God speaks to us, but that's exactly what invites you in. It takes every single one of us and just and puts you right there in conversation with God and to say, 
anybody who does this, we, you could paint the painting of one person. You know, this is the, the person whose heart is fixed on possessions, and he's going to run an eight-verse gamut of, of working through all the pitfalls, all the uggs, all the grievous things he sees under the sun. I saw a paraphrased translation for this portrait of this intimate one person. Like, this could be you. The paraphrase translation, it wasn't a paraphrase, it was just a different translation. It's in the Christian Standard Bible, and it said, I saw a sickening, a sickening evil. How do you translate this grievous thing? This saddening, like, ah, oh, that's horrible. I saw this grievous, saddening, makes me sick to my stomach that this happens evil under the sun. Like, that's the review of the list in these eight verses. That somebody so obsessed with wealth, they just never have enough. They're missing out in their heart something that would ever plug the tub and let it fill up to full. There's always a drain. They can't fill anything inside of them. They stay empty, they stay empty, they stay empty. More comes in, and their heart... They never have enough. That word enough. That word satisfied. They're never satisfied with their income. Can you imagine? What an ugh. What a sickening thing that a person would go through their whole life and never feel enough. Enough. Satisfaction. Like they never breathe. Isn't that sickening to you? Can you feel it? Can you taste it? You experience this in your, and so do I, that I have this like, it's not enough. The I'm not enough and the it's not enough and the what that's not enough and, and there's always this. What happens when you get more income? I was thinking about the whole flow of life. Talk to the high schoolers. Talk to the college students. You know, you start with kind of leaning on your parents and my possessions kind of in this room in my closet and they were all pretty much given to me. Like I didn't buy a whole lot of this. But then you start to get a job. You put a little money in the pocket. Then you get a massive amount of school debt and you're kind of waiting. And you wait, and then maybe you get a job. Maybe you get an hourly job that starts to pay for some bills. Maybe you even get a salary job. Oh, and now I can. Maybe I can start to think about owning a home. And then, you know, maybe you're able to own a home. And then you, then you get a raise. And oh, now I can think about is this new start having obtained. Now I can think about a new car instead of the clunker. Now I can think about that vacation I've never been able to afford. Now I can think, maybe we can start talking about, right? There's always this, always this, and it's like the tub. It's just, it, just, it's, it just keeps going, and, and there's never somebody who lives in the spirit of contentment because the reality is, um, if you've heard this in the financial world, they'll talk about a um, person going to the hardware store for the, the quarter-inch um, drill bit. You go for a dr quarter-inch drill bit because you want a quarter-inch sized hole. And so they'll, they'll, they're going to take you for what you're buying to what you're really dreaming about. And what you're buying 
has a certain, there's a certain product with a benefit you can get. If I can drill a quarter-sized inch hole, then I can have that hole in the wall where I can hang a shelf, and if I have the shelf, then I can clean up the room, and it looks nice, and if it looks nice, I feel good. And that's the whole chain of what commercials target, Right? This is the whole advertising campaign. How you'll feel when you drive this car. How you'll feel when you wear this watch. Nobody says, I feel like blowing 200 bucks on a watch today. But they do say, like, boy, if I walk around with that watch on my wrist, maybe I'll feel like that guy does in the commercial. They're over here. The advertisers live in the value. So inside of you is a little value that says, someday I'll have what my parents had Someday my pile will be like theirs. Someday this. Someday I can vacation like the people I see on Facebook. Someday I'll drive a car like that one down the road. Someday I'll wear the fancier clothes. Someday people will see that I'm put together. Someday it's this dream that's living in your heart. The stuff you put in your hands is all being attempted in this temptation to feed your heart. And it's, it's failed from the beginning. You're never going to get there. It's just down the drain. That's the purpose. Somebody who has more and is obsessed with it, if your dream in life is that, you're never going to have enough once you get addicted to dreaming, where that's a heart word, isn't it? Addiction, a, a, a spiritual addiction to an idol. Once you're addicted to dreaming for a future, I've never thought I would be able to afford this before. I never expected or hoped for it, and now I do. Because that just happened, this sort of windfall or the inheritance, and now I can change my dream, and now we can do this, and I've always been hoping I could change my dream, but I never thought I would, and now I can't. See? empty pit and there's the more 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 it doesn't work and then he says in the next line what's the next verse I, sh I should remember and just say it clearly as goods increase so do those who consume them and what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them now remember, we're not just talking about rich people like anytime you get rich, there's a, there is the nature of it, but it's especially a tug and it's a, it's a disappointing thing that happens to people who are obsessed with their wealth. And he says, as goods increase, so do people who consume them. You know, I have to pe have people to you know, manage my 50-acre estate and the 30 acres that I have to mow that lawn, I'm not mowing that lawn, but I'll pay you to do it. So come on and mow that lawn. So somebody else is enjoying or being a part of consuming the wealth, right? Um, one example would be, I, th I can't believe this is true, and I don't know anything besides the numbers, okay? I'm not really judging Jay Leno when I bring this up, but how many cars does Jay Leno have? How many cars does Jay Leno have? Anybody? 5,000. Wow. That would be, that would, yeah, that would definitely be crazy. 180. 180 cars. Motorcycles? Did you know he collects motorcycles too? 160 motorcycles. That's 340 total. It's like one per day. What do you do? Wake up and say, hey, 
can you oil change the yellow one so that I can drive it because it's been a year since I drove it? If you ever buy a used car, buy it from Jay Leno because it's got 100 miles on it and it's a 2012, <laughs> you know, and you've got all this mileage you can still spend. When, when you have goods increase, there's a certain point where I can't even enjoy it all. I can't drive all those cars. I can't. I mean, poor car. You get touched once a year. Do you feel a little bit bad for it? Like, ugh, Jay Leno bought me. Now I get to sit and collect dust till he takes me out once a year. That would be horrible. But think about it. Do you, do you want that many cars? What's the practical aspect of it? So Solomon's on to this. He says, one of the uggs, like you could have your piles. I've been there. I've done that. I, Lewis and Clark, mapped this whole thing out for you in my experiment as King Solomon, all right? I've sat on the pile. I purchased this. I purchased that. I had more than enough. And you know what happens? I couldn't enjoy it. I can't walk all that grass. I can't drive all those cars. I can't eat all of that food. Now you think, oh, I have to be Jay Leno for this verse to apply to me. Look at your closet. How many outfits have you not touched in a year? You find something in the back of the cupboard. Oh, a can of peas. Expiration date from two years ago. I bought it and I didn't use it. Now it's expired, right? It just sits there. If, but there's something about it, right, that as, as goods increase, we think this great thing is happening and our hearts feel so much better about the bigger pile. But there's something completely, in the end, it gets impractical. There's only so much you actually need, right? It's not saying you can't enjoy things or go after some wants, but it's talking to your heart. They say, can you see something completely grievous here? That in the end, somebody can have so much, all they do is look at it. Jay Leno opens the garage doors, waves to the cars, I can't drive you all today because I don't have enough minutes in a day. I don't have enough feet. I don't have enough hands. I can't personally drive all these cars. And that's exactly it. As goods increase, so do the people who are involved who consume them. And all it is for the owner is to look at it. It's just to look at it. That's another grievous thing. What about the next verse? The sleep of a laborer is sweet whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, asterisk, as for the rich obsessed with his riches, the heart th context is still there. As for the rich, I lost my place. Abundance permits them no sleep. The abundance word is really hard to translate. Another um, translation has full stomach. You know, like the filled upness of the rich uh, permits them no sleep. So on the one hand, I could have a full belly, but you know what happens if you eat dinner too late and it's a full belly? Or if you eat really rich, like fatty foods, do you know how you feel in the middle of the night? <laughs> yeah, you do. You may have been through that before. You don't always sleep that well. And this, like, this fatty and full stomach you know, can ruin your sleep later. But it's also to say the abundance of a rich person who's obsessed with it, they have trouble sleeping because they're concerned. I've got more to protect. 
I have more to manage and I have more grief going on in my heart when those things are threatened or if I lose them and take them away. When I'm obsessed with this wealth, it keeps you up at night. But sweet, sweet is the sleep of the laborer, whether he eats a lot or a little. When it's not about amounts to you, there's a heart in that verse of contentment. And that's completely different. Just look at it. Isn't it a grievous thing that somebody could have all these rich foods and sit on this bigger pile and they don't sleep at night? And there's something wrong going on there. Another one. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Have you seen that before? You ever heard of a gambling addiction? That's not always wealth hoarded, that's usually just wealth lost. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Somebody who has so much, they've been feeding that um, empty tub of selfishness so often and they keep doing it that they've, they've lost self-control, they've lost selflessness and generosity. All they can think of is being selfish with their stuff. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Somebody becoming arrogant, self-centered. Somebody whose status is the only thing they can smell about themselves and all, what they're so happy to have is, is how they look to other people. And it corrupts who they are. It corrupts their heart, right? It's this sin sickness about stuff that turns money makers into monsters, Right? And that's exactly what he's pointing out. There can be a grievous evil, a sickening thing that wealth has, like, who have you become? Like, you're, you can't be friends with me anymore because I'm this poor person. You know this theme. You know that story. And this is another thing that wealth can do to you when your heart's set on it. Or wealth lost through some misfortune. That doesn't have to be a terrible, sickening thing. But the person whose heart is after their riches and they lose it all, they're broken by it. They're devastated. You can have two homes side by side, burned down by a fire, and a family of believers in one will say, but nobody can take what God has given me in Christ Jesus, and we'll be fine. And you have somebody else next door bawling their eyes out. We do the same thing with death in the New Testament, right? Where Paul says, we do not grieve like people without hope, but there are people where they're in love with the stuff and they, they grieve, they like fall apart. I can't believe we lost our stuff. I can't believe we lost our house. We lost everything, they say. This is sickening that people would say that line through some misfortune so that then they have children and they feel like they have nothing to give them? Wouldn't it be sickening if you were there at somebody's deathbed and they said, I hope that you see that the sum of my life was to give you a better life than I had. That's it? That's what your goal is to give your kids a better life than yours? That's the wealth you want to put in their pockets? I caught myself before I said goodnight to the girls. I was going to say, I love you, but I was thinking on this text, and I knew there's something better to give them than my love. And I didn't say it. 
said, Jesus loves you. Sometimes it comes out on a deathbed or at the end of a night, what you bless, what you want to give to someone. I hope it does every night. I hope it does every day. I hope that you live and speak the great blessing. But isn't that it? Can you see this grievous, sickening misfortune when somebody is so tied, I have nothing to give you, and they pull their hair out, and the end of the day, they feel so sad that they close the bedroom door. My poor girls, I lost my job today, and I don't have this, and I, what are they going to have? What are they going to have someday? I can't give them a leg up, right? I can't give them a head start on prosperity and success in this life. Woe is us. Woe is me. I don't have the stuff. My heart, my heart is treasuring all the wrong things. When there's so much, there's so much I can share. Isn't that a grievous misfortune? Wealth lost through some misfortune, they feel like there's nothing left for them to inherit. What is inheritance? Inheritance should be a Christian word only. Forget all the stuff you passed down from your pocket. What about passing down in passages? Think about the inheritance of the saints and what we're fixated on. A church should never struggle to meet its budget. I'm not, just, I'm not saying that's us. I'm saying a church should never struggle to meet its budget because we understand the ministry that we do, the great passing on of actual inheritance. We own inheritance generation to generation. That's our word. God gave that to us. It's our word. The world does not know what inheritance is. It knows pocket stuff, empty stuff, a great misfortune. When you lose everything and you have nothing to give your kids, we have something we can always give our kids. So different, isn't it? Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. We're going to bookend all of it now. So to summarize, the portrait of the obsessed with possessions. He says... Naked you come from your mother's womb and naked you depart. Job, you gave us that wisdom in your book and Solomon has not forgotten it here. He's going to say, just as you come in, so you go out. You can't take it with you. It's a grievous thing that people think there's so much to invest in in the things of this world when those is a, that's the start and that's the truth of the beginning. There's nothing in your hand when you die but there sure is something here. And that's so different, isn't it? And then he says, and if your heart is set on the things of this world, not only are you stuck with a bare hand at the end, you will all be barehanded at the end, but all your days in between when you're obsessed with possessions, are nothing but misfortune and sadness, vexation and anxiety. That's the only thing it ever is. It's a recipe for disaster from start in through the middle and to the end, empty-handed. But a good thing I have seen. This is what I observe to be good. It's appropriate for a person now remember the contrast is a heart issue, not just who sits at the table and eats and drinks and feels something. It's something in their heart that they have. That's the context. It's appropriate for a person to eat 
to drink, to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun. Enjoy your work. During the few days of life, then he says it, God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, meaning like you get to see the fruit of your labor, you get to like enjoy it instead of losing it in misfortune or just dying and passing it off to somebody else. You get to work, you get to see a paycheck, you get to be, live in a house, you get to pay some bills, you get to do some of these things when, and you get to enjoy them and, and there's a heart issue there. Um, you accept their lot and be happy in their toil. That's a gift of God. It doesn't come anywhere else. All that means to say is believers see this so differently. Believers who have let go of the things of this world doesn't mean they are empty. They're living a different kind of full. Why I was looking forward so much to these two weeks with you in scripture passages about material stuff is for this moment right here. The release. As you think about a God who gives to you. As you rephrase inheritance, you think of God's daily obsession over you. Did I say that loud enough? God's daily obsession over you. That you eat and drink and have work and get to enjoy them with happiness in your heart. It's his commitment to his word, first and foremost, to bless you by his spirit that you would know that there's nothing in this world like God's grip on me. And in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and what he did on the cross, I have that great love expressed and no one can snatch them out of my hand. The great treasured possession of the God of all things, I'm looking at it. God doesn't want your money. God wants you. And he releases you in a world that's his. Look back at the context of verses and it's people who who are worried about justice and oppression in this world. And, Sol and Solomon says, we're not by ourselves. God's going to work this all out. Don't be surprised if the world goes kaput. It's going to go kaput because of sin. But that doesn't mean God isn't doing his thing. Don't be surprised that money fails you on every hand and disappoints you in this way, this way, this way, this way. It's what it's bound to do. It's always down the drain, so to speak. But when you see what God is, and what God does and who God loves by his grace and mercy, you enjoy a totally different kind of wealth, of riches of God's grace to me, like God's having me breathe today. God's putting clothes on me today and food on my belly and a roof over my head. I review all these stories and then I can sleep at night, right? He says, these people, these weird believer people where their hearts are not set on their stuff, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God's kept them occupied with gladness of heart. 
You cannot live today's scripture without Bible study. You can't live it without being occupied with gladness of heart. The only way for you to be occupied by gladness of heart is to know how much God loves you. Know how great his grace is to you. Know what every day really is under the sun because of the Lord and his grip. It changes everything. I set you free. I set you free in Jesus' name to live worryless, anxietyless, stressless, no matter if you're on the pile or not on the pile that you've expected to have in this life. No matter if you're a have not or have, who cares? God does. That's all you need to know. God does, and he richly does. He grips me like no other, and he has in Jesus. I have proof of it. I have proof of it, and he's keeping me forever. That's what I need. What's the biggest financial mistake a person can make thinking otherwise? God be with you with a mind and heart from his word. Amen.